0: Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from staff. I'm Damian Garde, socially distancing from the Borough of Queens. I'm Adam Feuerstein, still isolating in Cambridge, Mass.
1: And I'm Rebecca Robbins, staying at home in the San Francisco Bay Area.
0: It is Thursday, May 21st, and this week we're going to devote the entire episode to talking about global market-moving news about an experimental coronavirus vaccine, and what that says about our insane new reality in which everyone is a biotech day trader. First, we'll break down an announcement from Moderna Therapeutics
2: about some early results it generated on an experimental COVID-19 vaccine.
1: Next, we'll discuss why it's so unusual, and frankly quite surreal, to see biotech news moving global stock markets during the pandemic.
0: And finally, we'll bring you the backstory on Moderna, which had been a strange and always interesting company to watch long before COVID-19.
1: But first, a word from our sponsor.
0: Hi,
2: I'm Angus Macaulay, the Chief Revenue Officer of STAT. The COVID-19 pandemic has made it more important than ever to improve the lives of communities impacted by poverty. Life Science Cares is a collective effort of the life sciences industry dedicated to doing just that. I'm here with Sarah McDonald, the organization's executive director, to discuss how the life sciences community can help during this crucial time. Sarah, while the immediate needs of medical solutions are obvious in times of health crises, how can the life sciences community support the most vulnerable populations in local communities who need help?
1: The COVID-19 crisis is impacting people's lives in truly unprecedented ways, making the continued generosity of both companies like Takeda as well as individuals even more necessary. Life Science Cares needs support to meet the needs of our partners during this crisis by donating to their specific wish lists or to our COVID-19 relief fund. Visit LifeScienceCares.org to learn more about the organization and the community organizations who need support during this time.
2: All right. So let's start with what happened on Monday morning. Moderna Therapeutics, and that is the Cambridge, Massachusetts biotech company, put out a press release.
1: So the subject of that press release was the experimental vaccine that Moderna is developing to protect against the novel coronavirus. It's seen as the front runner in the American market among the many various vaccines that drug makers are racing to try to develop.
2: Well, Damien, they're taking a very different approach than, say, the flu vaccine that you get every fall. Moderna's vaccine is what's known as a synthetic messenger RNA, and that encodes for a protein found on the surface of the novel coronavirus. It tries to spur an immune response by compelling cells to produce that
0: protein.
1: So, Damien, what did Moderna's announcement on Monday show?
0: So the company announced results from an early analysis of a subset of patients, 45 of them, from an ongoing phase one safety trial. And those results, according to Moderna, indicate that the vaccine appears to generate an immune response similar to the response you might see in people who have been infected by the virus and then recovered. The most promising part of that press release was that eight volunteers whose data were available developed neutralizing antibodies, and those are the kinds of immune responses thought to effectively prevent cells from viral infection. If that holds up in more patients, then perhaps this vaccine actually works.
2: So we're talking about data here. Was there a journal article or data slide presentation to go along with all of this?
1: There was not, Adam. Moderna revealed very little information, and most of what it did disclose were words, not data. Moderna held back a bunch of critical information that experts would ideally look to to interpret the data.
0: So how did everyone react to this on Monday morning?
2: Yeah, the reaction, quite frankly, it was unreal. The news moved global markets higher. Just by way of example, after Moderna put out its press release, that news added $5 billion to the value of the big four airline stocks. Those are American, Delta, Southwest, and United.
1: The Moderna data announcement was even on the front page of The New York Times and the big slot in the top right quadrant of the layout that's devoted to the biggest news of the day. That is not a normal place for data on eight patients.
0: And Moderna continued to make news throughout the day on Monday. The company's top executives were everywhere in the media talking up the results uh, via press release, and Moderna's stock price soared about 20% higher when it was already well beyond its all-time highs uh, in 2020. And then that afternoon, the company dumped about 18 million shares onto the market to raise roughly $1.3 billion for itself. Okay, and then came Tuesday. Tuesday.
1: So a number of journalists wrote the obvious story on Tuesday morning that you write in these circumstances. You know, you call up independent vaccine experts and you ask them what they make of the data. And obviously in this situation with such little disclosure, these experts generally told journalists that they just didn't have much to work with and that the results should be taken with a, a huge grain of salt.
0: So Stats own Helen Branswell, a longtime infectious disease reporter who has seen her profile really rise during the pandemic because of her deep and authoritative coverage, wrote a really well-done version of this story on Tuesday, raising those very questions about these early results delivered again via press release. Yeah, and the reaction to Helen's piece was uh, quite
2: something.
1: Yeah, Helen's story literally moved the entire market instantly. It caused a sudden dip in the S&P 500. You know, if Monday's headline was Stocks Soar on Moderna Vaccine Optimism, then the Tuesday headline was Stocks nose dive as Vaccine Hopes Fade.
0: And this again was only Tuesday when this happened. Yeah, it's been a long week.
1: Okay, so let's break down the implications of what just happened to global markets.
2: Yeah, you know, I've been covering biotech stocks, uh, the intersection of Wall Street and biotech for, you know, for like almost 20 years. And I have never seen a case where a bit of biotech news actually moved global markets, you know, move the S&P 500, move the NASDAQ and the Dow. And this is not the first time this has happened. Actually, back in March, and I don't know, I guess we're sort of patting ourselves on the back a little bit here. You know, we published that exclusive story on Gilead's antiviral drug remdesivir.
0: And when we published that story, global stock markets moved higher on the news. So as you mentioned, we're not used to uh, individual results from especially early stage drugs moving global markets and dominating global headlines. Why is this happening? Well, let's be real. I mean,
2: you know, this underscores the extreme need for vaccines and drugs to get the pandemic under control, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, the recovery of the global economy depends on new medicines to combat the coronavirus, particularly vaccines. Right. We're not going to get back to normal life until we have vaccines that can protect people from infection. So I think, you know, this just shows you how people are you know around the world, including investors, are completely fixated on what biotech and drug companies are doing.
1: Yeah, investors are are really making a a huge bet here, which is that if we can successfully develop medicines against the coronavirus or COVID-19, that will generate billions of of dollars in profits. And they're making that bet despite promises that these drugs or vaccines are going to be widely available at, at little or no cost.
0: Yeah, that's what's been kind of surreal for me to watch. Having learned the lessons from observation that positive results in phase one are not always, or in fact, are rarely predictive of success in phase three and or in, you know, actually turning a medicine into a product. So that's one thing with respect to the excitement over data like Moderna's. And the second thing, Rebecca, as you mentioned, that most of these companies, although Moderna is an exception here, have explicitly committed to not profiteering on all of their work in coronavirus. So when you see the stock prices shoot up for the likes of Delta, that's a bet that, Early stage data means successful drug. And when you see the stock prices shoot up for Moderna or Gilead or et cetera, that assumes that these will be profitable endeavors. And, you know, watching biotech, I haven't been doing it for 20 years, but for however long, has taught me that one should be very cautious in making assumptions like that. So, Adam,
1: do you think we're going to continue to see this kind of biotech volatility?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that
2: anytime we see news coming out from any of the vaccine makers or any of the companies developing some of the drugs against the coronavirus, you know, you're going to see the markets react, and that includes you know, big, big changes, you know, up and down in global markets. There's been a lot of conversation about this on Twitter, and uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Jesse Isinger, he's a editor at ProPublica. He had a great quote, and I and I think it should be pinned everywhere. And he said, quote, it's a dangerous mix when investors are desperate and the public is panicked.
1: So we've been talking quite a bit about the global markets at large. How are biotech stocks in particular doing?
0: Biotech is having a wonderful go at the stock market. One of the closely watched indices is the XBI, and it's been hitting all-time highs this whole month. It's 60% higher than it was at its low in March. And one thing I've seen a lot from smart people who follow biotech is as they see the valuations of companies like Moderna soar to levels that just don't really add up if you look at fundamentals or you know future profits and losses or cash flows or the way that stocks are meant to be valued. And so they keep asking, I guess rhetorically, Who is buying these stocks at these valuations? How is this happening? So I have a
2: theory about this, and and it comes courtesy of Josh Brown. He's a CNBC commentator. He runs a wealth management company. Let's take a listen. If you're a degenerate gambler, they close down sports for three months, and you discover day trading. First of all, your family members walk by you on your computer, and you're like, oh, I'm just going over our investments. It doesn't look like what you're doing is degeneracy. It actually looks the opposite.
0: So assuming that there is this influx of uh, former degenerate gamblers who have now taken to their Robinhood apps or whatever, do you think that they are particularly attracted to biotech stocks in this moment? You know, I I really do. And that's why I really liked what Josh said, because it just
2: clicked with me, because from personal experience right now, like I look at my DMs, I look at my Twitter notifications, my email, I am being flooded with crazy comments, trash talking, all kinds of abuse from people who clearly are A, day trading biotech stocks and B, have no idea or knowledge about biotech. It's shocking and, and, and sad and sort of frightening that these people are trading on, essentially on headlines, and they really have no idea what they're doing. But I am, I'm seeing a huge uptick, just like personally, that's stuff directed at me, particularly if I write a story that you know maybe raises some questions or is critical of some of these companies or maybe accuses them of being overly promotional. It's kind of tipping the meter right now.
1: And there's another factor at play here beyond the day traders, which is the high-frequency traders that are are really moving the markets. How is that factor uh, affecting what we're seeing in the markets right now?
2: You know, let's be clear. You know, guys who watch uh, Dave Portnoy, day trade stocks, these are not the people who are moving global markets. That kind of stuff is being done by algorithms and like high-speed computers who are picking up on all these kinds of these little news headlines that come out and those are the things that are really moving the the major global indices.
0: For anyone who misses so much the rush of of betting on sports and has taken to wagering large sums of money on biotech companies that may or may not ever do anything, you can just watch German top flight soccer. It came back last weekend. I think there's a big game this weekend with Bayern and Frankfurt. Put your money there. There's so much less at stake rather than trying to, you know, stake your retirement or try to short some company that might leave you completely bankrupt if you don't understand biotech.
2: You know, I was waiting for this podcast to pivot to soccer.
1: So one strange product of the coronavirus pandemic is that previously obscure biotech companies have become global topics of fascination.
2: Yeah, so we saw that with Gilead Sciences, whose drug remdesivir became a headline name on its own. And we've seen it happen when the likes of Rudy Giuliani take up the cause for small cap biotechs claiming to have treatments for COVID-19.
1: And this week it was Moderna's turn as the world turned its attention to the former unicorn in Cambridge, Massachusetts, when it emerged as a leader in the race to find a vaccine for the novel coronavirus.
2: So Damien, you've been covering Moderna for years. How does this newfound celebrity fit within the company's history?
0: So what's been interesting to me is that the Discussion around Moderna's potential coronavirus vaccine is almost a perfect encapsulation of the Moderna discourse dating back to at least 2013. On the one hand, you have the company explaining the vast potential of its technology and the value of what it's invented. And then you have people on the outside casting doubts on all of that and complaining that Moderna isn't disclosing enough information to back up its claims. And then on the financial side, questioning whether it's worth as much money as investors seem to think. That dynamic has pretty much played out for Moderna's entire history. The same goes for the valuation, as I mentioned. So thanks to the potential of its coronavirus vaccine, Moderna is now worth nearly $30 billion, which a lot of people find hard to justify. We kind of touched on this before with respect to just how lucrative something like this might be. Anyway, that's the exact same conversation we were having four years ago when Moderna was a private company worth just about $2 billion.
1: So give us some more backstory here, Damien. How did Moderna get started?
0: So the company was founded about 10 years ago by the VC firm Flagship Ventures, which has since changed its name to uh, Flagship Pioneering. And the core technology has always been the same. As we talked about before, it's using synthetic messenger RNA to compel cells in the body to manufacture proteins. So those could be therapeutic proteins, which might treat various inherited diseases, or they could be proteins that stimulate the immune system, which is useful for making vaccines uh, like this one for coronavirus. But like I said before, the story of Moderna has always been this chasm between how much money the company is worth on paper and what it has publicly demonstrated. Back in the early days when Moderna was, uh, I mean, this feels like a long time ago, but it it was a unicorn. It was worth more than a billion dollars while it was private. The company had at one point published nothing in the scientific literature about its promise and had yet had made these claims that it could treat, you know, kind of untold number of diseases and signed all these partnerships with major pharmaceutical firms and had convinced investors to give it hundreds of millions, adding up to billions of dollars. And so the sort of push and pull of Moderna was, is this, you know, not not a Theranos-like thing? Nobody doubted the reality of the potential of mRNA, but they didn't invent synthetic mRNA. It is something that biotech companies and pharma companies had been kicking around for a long time, and it had never really worked the way it seemed like it ought to on paper. So for years every drip and drab of information about Moderna was kind of framed in this context of, is this going to be the next case study for you know Harvard Business School students about how a big idea can get overvalued? And that basically continued on right up until Moderna's IPO in late 2018. So I
2: remember at the time, Moderna's IPO was a big deal. I mean, it was something that we wrote about. Uh, it was closely followed. What happened there, Damien?
0: Yeah, it was a really interesting moment, because as I mentioned, the conversation about Moderna was Okay, you know, you have this huge private valuation on paper, but we've seen this with companies like WeWork or with Uber for that matter where what venture capitalists think is a reasonable valuation for a private company is not always what public investors think. So the the question moving into that IPO was can the company possibly convince the public markets to get behind this valuation? And the answer ended up being sort of. So in late 2018, Moderna pulled off what remains the biggest IPO in biotech history, and it gave them a market value of about $7.5 billion, which is a lot. But in the months after that, the stock price started to lag. And for most of 2019, Moderna traded below its IPO value, and sometimes below its most recent private valuation. Once the what's called the lockup expired, which is to say the date at which insiders can sell their stock, Moderna fell even further. And so it began to look like a bit of a cautionary tale or perhaps like kind of a prove it story. It was on Moderna to demonstrate that it could do all the things that it had promised for so many years. And that was the narrative right up until the coronavirus crisis. And since then, Moderna has, I haven't checked this morning, but roughly quadrupled in value based pretty much solely on the potential of this vaccine we've been talking about.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point. And kind of circle back to what we talked about you know, in the beginning of this podcast was that you know if you look at Moderna you know I think their valuation was around 5 billion dollars at the beginning of the year you know it was below what it was when they first went public you know it was a company that maybe Not a lot of people, even in biotech, were paying much attention to. You know, there weren't global investors who were paying attention to Moderna at the beginning of the year. And now they have a market value of roughly $30 billion, and everybody is paying attention to them based on, you know, this hope, this optimism, mainly about their coronavirus vaccine.
1: So we're still very early in all of this. Damien, what are you going to be watching for next at Moderna?
0: So, The issue of disclosure remains interesting. This whole conversation about Monday morning's press release and the data that was not in it is something that I think we're all going to have to pay attention to because Moderna is moving very quickly through this process. We've been talking about their phase one study, but they plan to start a phase two study in, I guess, a matter of weeks. They haven't committed to a specific timeline, but they've already laid out plans for a phase three that would begin in July. So they will be enrolling patients in the trials of these coronavirus vaccines, and we don't exactly know what kind of information we're going to get on how safe and effective it is and when we're going to get it.
2: Yeah, so I think one of the lessons this week is that we need to see more data from Moderna and fewer press releases.
0: And the future also offers Moderna a real chance to change the narrative and kind of undermine the criticisms it's received for many years. As I mentioned, the conversation has always been, they don't tell us enough to justify how much money they think they're worth. And Monday, just as a 24-hour period, was a press release that experts agreed did not have enough information to determine how much they're worth, and then a press release announcing that they were raising $1.3 billion on the stock market. That, if you've been critical of Moderna for the past 10 years, sounds like exactly what they were doing when they were a private company. So going forward, they can, like I said, undermine all of their critics by just providing us all the information we want and, you know, maybe not selling stock immediately afterward
1: that does it for another episode of the read out loud
2: Thank you to Hyacinth Temponado, who produced this week's episode. Alyssa Ambrose is our senior producer, and Rick Burke is our executive producer.
1: And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you liked about this week's episode, what you didn't like, and whether your non-biotech friends and family now know what Moderna is. You can do all of that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com.
0: And of course, if you like what we do, we appreciate a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get podcasts. See you next week.